Welcome, and thanks for listening to AGI SureTrack Coffee Talk. Today's episode is Leadership, Education, and Engagement from the Voice of Agriculture. Here's your host, Laura Hankey. All right. Thanks, Brian. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us again here on a beautiful Friday morning. Margie, good morning. How are you? I am great. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yes, absolutely. We're happy to have you. We're ready to talk advocacy and education this morning. Uh, But before we do that, tell us about the weather there in D.C. this morning. Oh, it's beautiful. It's 70 degrees and sunny and crisp. So, you know, when the nation's capital is in a swamp, we really... uh, we, we treasure these days that are beautiful fall days. Absolutely. We are so jealous here in Northeast Kansas this morning. Um, we are looking at record highs this weekend. So <laughs> we are ready for some fall weather, the two days that we'll get before, you know, winter hits. <laughs> All right. So as we get started here this morning, Margie, You know, we're very fortunate to have listeners from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So a lot of folks in agriculture here in the United States are very familiar with the American Farm Bureau Federation. But for those who may not be, go ahead and get us started this morning by telling us what the organization does. Sure. So primarily, I want to start with the fact that American Farm Bureau is a membership association. So that means that we are funded by farmers and ranchers who choose to pay dues every year. So the the bureau part of our name throws people off sometimes and they think we're affiliated with the government, but we are not. We are a private membership funded organization. And our mission is to to bring farm and ranch families together to build a sustainable future for safe and abundant food, fiber and renewable fuel for both our nation and for the world because we, we realize that our producers are sending things all over the world and so we really connect with with our members role of providing that sustainable food fiber and fuel so scope uh, we have 51 organizations across the country so that's all our 50 states plus puerto rico each has their own farm bureau And we also have 2,800 county farm bureaus. So we're really, we're located at all three of those levels, all connected. So when someone joins at the county level, they join all three or all three branches of the organization. And we have just under 6 million members total across the country. So each of those organizations, those 2,800 counties and the 51 states are all governed by their own bylaws, their own board of directors, they have their own staff. So we're decentralized and independent organizations, but connected through that mission. At the national level, we have about 90 staff. And I would say one of the things that's really unique about Farm Bureau and that we're really proud of is that we're a grassroots organization. So our board of directors are all farmers. They are the state Farm Bureau presidents who are elected by farmers who are our voting delegates. So farmers are in control of our organization and farmers also control our policy development. So we're big, uh, do a lot of work in the legislative arena. And so we have a policy book that guides our actions and every policy that tells us kind of what we're opposed to and what we're in favor of starts with a farmer somewhere in the country, gets voted on at the county level, gets voted on at the state level. And if it's a national or international issue, gets voted on at the national level. So we really truly are grassroots in that the farmers and ranchers from across this country 
decide the policies that we fight for and fight against every day. Well, and that's so important. I know we've had this conversation before, Margie, but a lot of people don't realize we have so many areas, especially throughout the Midwest, so many states where there are just a couple of, of cities, urban areas that can outvote the entire rest of the state. Um, and so really having a voice in those areas is important. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and our, our tagline is the voice of agriculture, because we really do want to organize those people together. Because as you say, you know, one person has, one person always has a voice, but lots of people working together have more, you know, just that they get more attention and they have a louder voice. So that's what Farm Bureau is all about. Right. So talking about that voice of agriculture, let's talk about your role within mm -hmm. um, AFBF. Um, talk about the advocacy and outreach division and how you work to lead that. Sure. So our official name for my team is Leadership, Education and Engagement, and we have 16 folks on our team. And as you might guess from the name, we're organized in three different groups, leadership, education and engagement. So we're, we get points for creativity on that one. So our leadership team uh, does a lot of soft skills training for our members. So that looks like leadership development training, communications training, media training, um, how to talk to your legislators, conflict management, so all different kinds of soft skills training. And we also provide strategic planning resources to our state farm bureaus so we can help them be efficient and effective organizations. Our education team manages a 501c3 foundation. So again, for those who are maybe outside of the country, 501c3 is a IRS tax designation, and it, it means we're a charity. So we're, we're working for uh, purely, you know, for the good of the cause kind of thing. So we have that 501c3 foundation that helps teach people where their food comes from and why farmers grow it that way. Okay. And so that's a big sort of consumer and general kind of education of students as well as consumers. And then our third branch is the engagement team. And that, that group really helps keep the grassroots strong at the national level. So we have three volunteer leader committees at the national level, and they help plan conferences. They plan events for leaders all across the country. And those three national committees are our Women's Leadership Committee, and they focus on developing leadership skills and advocacy skills of women in particular. We have a Promotion and Education Committee that works to tell the story of agriculture to consumers. And then we have a Young Farmers and Ranchers Committee, and those are young people between 18 and 35. And they are working, again, leadership development and getting younger people involved in the Farm Bureau. So our staff, I mentioned we have 16, it's kind of an eclectic mix of people. So about half of us worked for a state Farm Bureau before we came to the national level. And that's really important because we just have a clue of what it's like kind of in the real world, closer to the members um, outside the beltway of Washington, DC. Several of us have master's degrees in related fields. And when I say related fields, it's not, you know, pure ag kind of fields. We have master's degrees in organization development and adult education and leadership and things like that. We have a former TV reporter who does our media training. And a lot of us grew up on farms and we have a, a good 
a good crowd of 4-H alums and FFA alums too. And then in addition to our team, there are three colleagues in a different department who really focus most on like legis pure legislative advocacy and regulatory adv advocacy as opposed to kind of the bigger picture of education and engagement. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about those three branches, the leadership, the education, and the engagement. <clears throat> Excuse me. How do you guys go about recruiting folks to serve on each of those? Um, because I'm sure it takes a lot of, of different folks from across the countryside to mobilize and help to convey that message within their local communities. Talk about that recruitment process, Margie. Uh-huh. So in the three committees, the YFNR Women's Leadership and P&E, most of those are organized at the state level and in many cases, the county level. So the folks that we see at the national level are established leaders. You know, they got involved in a county farm bureau. Maybe it was going to read to a classroom. Maybe it was hosting a farm safety event. Maybe it was um, attending a meet the candidates night at their local county. And they got hooked and they got engaged and they wanted to make a difference. And so they join one of those three program committees. And then oftentimes they are appointed to serve at the state level. And then if they're, uh, you know, the cream of the crop leaders are then appointed or sometimes elected to serve on our national committees. Mm -hmm. And by the time they get to us, they're super passionate, right? Super passionate and super skilled. So it's a, a treat to work with them. Absolutely. So talk about the division. You know, are you seeing more young farmers step to the plate or are you seeing a good mix, a good, a good cross section across the farming community? Mm -hmm. We have a great mix. And that's, I think, because we have those three different options for people to get engaged. So there's something for everybody. But it, it's interesting when you think about sort of the mission of our team as it relates to Farm Bureau as a whole, right? Because farmers and ranchers in this country, they have urgent issues all the time, right? It's, it's a bill that's being debated in Congress right now. It might be a regulation that's being floated by EPA, a lawsuit that's threatening a, a, a way of farming or a certain um, crop management tool that they use. So we, our team is different, right? Because we sit and I mentioned we have, we have 16 and there are about 90 in the organization. And a lot of our colleagues are really focused on the urgent situations facing agriculture. And we're not. We are about the long-term growth and health of Farm Bureau and agriculture. So we are investing in leaders, we're investing in teaching skills so that when they when they are called upon, when their issue is hot, that they are ready to lead and ready to speak out. So our team really also helps keep the grassroots strong and connected. You know, as we were talking about, we're in Washington, D.C., all right? I can look out my window. I don't see a lot of farmers out there really close to me. So our grassroots leaders help keep us in Washington really connected to what's going on in their lives, in the country, and in rural America. So that's great. And as I was starting to say, it really helps ensure that we have people who are confident, who are, are who have the skills that they need. They are comfortable, you know, if an issue hits the media, that they will speak from their perspective and tell their story that they are ready to lead for agriculture. And so our team is really about developing those leaders for the long term health and success of the organization. Right. <clears throat> Talk about why this vision, why this division is so important, Margie, to not just the work that you guys are doing with Farm Bureau, but to agriculture as a whole. 
Oh, yeah. I think that that's one thing that we talk about. What does success look like for us? And we've had some really interesting discussions, you know, over the years about we we put a lot of uh, resources into developing these leaders. And is it essential? Like, what does success look like? Do they need to come and lead in Farm Bureau? And we have decided, no, like we are here to serve rural America. And if someone who goes through a two-year leadership development program with us goes back and doesn't lead, of course, we hope they're going to lead at Farm Bureau. But if they go back and they take a position in a commodity organization or they take a position on the school board or um, on a, you know, any kind of local local leadership, like that's a success. So we are here to develop leaders skilled, talented leaders who can lead in rural America. And of course, we hope that they'll stay and be involved in Farm Bureau. But if they're not, that's okay, because they're still leading and supporting rural America. And that's important to us. Mm -hmm. Well, and we've had this conversation so many times on the program. There's no six degrees of separation in agriculture. So, you know, when you join a membership organization like this or a commodity organization, there's so much connectedness, you know, Mm -hmm. and and you're building the network and and you're making that message stronger. So with that, let's talk a little bit about some of the vehicles that your team is using to deliver the message and make sure that it's getting to the folks that it needs to reach. Mm -hmm. So I would say we we kind of have three different approaches to preparing our leaders to tell their stories and to lead in in rural America. The first is what I would call our like deep dive training. And we have a couple programs that are, you know, multi-day, in some cases, multi-year development programs that are really um, deep dives. So one of those that I'll mention is our PAL program. That stands for Partners in Advocacy Leadership. And that's really our sort of flagship program. We pick 10 people for that program, and it's every two years. It's a two-year commitment. They do intense multi-day modules. We do the first module in New York City. And one of my favorite activities, they do a scavenger hunt around the city, and then they end up at the Whole Foods in Columbus Circle which for those of you who aren't familiar with New York City, it's like right in the heart of the city, right next to Central Park. And they go into the Whole Foods and they talk to consumers who are buying what they grow. And they, so it's just a really interesting way they learn about how people in a big city shop differently, think differently about food. And that sets the the table for the whole conversation of the PAL program, which is teaching advocacy skills. How do you engage with different stakeholders? How do you tell your story to the media? How do you tell your story to legislators? So again, it's it's an intense two-year program. Only 10 people every two years are, are picked to be a part of that PAL program. Another deep dive program that we have, it's not quite as deep as PAL, but it's a multi-day program, is our Women's Communications Boot Camp. And that's something that we do two times a year in Washington, D.C. Women all over the country are welcome to apply. Uh, We pick 15 for each class, and they come to D.C. for a four-day training program. It's, again, it's mock media interviews. It's um, legislative 
talking about legislative testimony. We also talk about social media advocacy and how do you tell the story through Facebook and through Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's also a you know a, a pretty popular program. We are having it next month. As I mentioned, there are 15 slots and we had about 50 to 60 applicants. So we have we have people who are hungry to get these skills to be out there, which which is great. Mm-hmm. So that's our kind of deep dive approach vehicle to to development and to communication. The next so one, I, I have a question. Sorry, sorry not to interrupt, sure. but I have a question mm-hmm. on the women's program. So, you know, talk about the folks that are applying for those opportunities. Are we talking big farms, small farms, a good cross section? Where are they coming from, Margie? Oh, they're they're coming. They're we have a whole, just like Farm Bureau is a big cross section. And that's something I probably should have mentioned in the what is Farm Bureau. We're a general farm organization, which means we represent growers of all different commodities. So we have um, uh, one of the people who's coming to boot camp is uh, from Alaska. And so I'm guessing, I'm not sure, I haven't seen her application in particular, that she's a peony farmer because we have a lot of peony farmers um, who are women from Alaska. So I'm guessing she's probably one of those. But we have everything from peony farmers in Alaska to the stereotypical cattle ranchers in Montana to dairy farmers in Wisconsin, citrus growers in Florida. So producers of more than 300 different commodities belong to Farm Bureau. So anytime we do anything, we have a great smattering of people from all different sizes and and parts of the country. So it's it's exciting. And what a cool connection of resources too, you know, because here I am in Northeast Kansas raising cattle and crops. You know, I don't know anything about peony farming, but once I'm in this room with 14 other folks who are from across the country doing other things, what a great resource, you know, especially Mm -hmm. with social media being what it is today and being able to answer some of those hard hitting questions. Yeah, our our members always love the networking and boot camp is is a very um, bonding experience because a lot of times people come and they're really nervous and they're coming alone. You know, it's not like another thing where they're coming with a delegation of people from their state. They're coming alone and they're sitting in a room with these other strangers and we put them through the ropes, right? Like go up, we do interviews, we have speeches, we give them you know, pretty honest and candid feedback, which, you know, it's not always fun, but helps you learn. Right. And by the end of that week, they are, you know, like a tight crowd and it's so fun to, to see their growth, you know, over the course of those four days. Absolutely. Well, I cut you off. I'm sorry. I know you had one more program that you wanted to talk about. I I had to ask that question. (laughs) Sure thing. So two more actually, Um, and and we're still kind of in that big bucket of what are the vehicles and the tools that we use to to help train our volunteers. So the second bucket I would say is more like short-term kind short short workshops and breakout, like kind of awareness training. So I I mentioned we have our leadership team. They travel uh, a lot of the time. They're going to state Farm Bureau meetings. And we do a lot of workshops at young farmer and rancher conferences or state annual meetings on all of these kind of topics. So we're talking, you know, 60, 90 minute workshops on social media advocacy, media training, How do you have conversations with consumers? You know, if you're standing in the grocery store line and someone starts saying whatever disparaging 
comments about a certain kind of agriculture or a certain agricultural practice, like, well, how do you respond to that? How do you engage in a productive conversation, either in the grocery store line or on Facebook? Um, and we, we do some workshops that are really popular on how to create good videos because our members are seeing the value of posting videos from their farm. Like, here's how we do this, and here's why we do this, and here's what a farrowing crate looks like and why we use it. And so we're, we're teaching them how to make good videos, you know, how to edit videos. Um, and then the third bucket that I would talk about is the resources that we provide that anyone can use. So our volunteer leaders use these resources, people who aren't members who are teachers. These are resources that are free and out there for everyone. You can find those at our web at the foundation's website. It's agfoundation.org. So agagfoundation.org. And one of my favorite resources on there is called our Ag Lit catalog. And you can go in and you can click the grade level that you're trying to that you want to do a program for the length of the program that you're looking for what's your learning situation are you in a classroom are you at a camp are you in a field and then a whole bunch of resources come up of lesson plans and things that you can use to in that situation with that age group so i love that i'm i'm not a teacher but i'm a girl scout leader so i'm always looking to infuse right. agriculture in the things that i'm doing with my girl scout troop so i use that a lot you know to look for things that are related to different badges or field trips that we're doing so along with that we have other more formal lesson plans and teacher resources and we we make everything free that we can. If we have to incur a printing cost, we pretty much sell everything at cost. We're not looking to make money. We're looking to get the news out. So good resources there. We also have an accurate ag book list. And that's another great tool. You know, whether you're a grandparent wanting to buy a book for, for a grandchild or whether you're a teacher, you know, and it's it's. October. So it's big pumpkin season in the United States. And you'd be amazed at how many children's books have like inaccurate descriptions of what pumpkin plants look like, right? So if you want to have a good solid book that has actually, uh, you know, real life pictures of what a pumpkin pumpkin plant looks like and and what a vine looks like and all that you can go to our list of accurate ag books look for pumpkins and get a list of books that have good accurate information about pumpkins mm -hmm. so kind of three buckets we have those deep dive training programs more of awareness and kind of intro level training programs and then a lot of resources out there on all different kinds of agriculture and ag issues that people can get on our website Fantastic. Such a robust resource mm -hmm. right at your fingertips. So you mentioned helping folks learn how to create great videos um, to share on social media or, you know, share on other platforms that they're using. You know, this is really the first generation, Margie, that doesn't know what it's like to be disconnected. Mm -hmm. You know, we've always had some type of device in our hand um, or access to some type of device. Um, what are you seeing from this generation of agriculturalists? Are you seeing a greater transparency? Are you seeing better communication styles? Talk about how social media has changed some of these communication opportunities. 
Uh-huh. I guess I would say, of, of course, it's making assumptions about generations are assumptions, right? So th- right. what I'm about to say is not true for everybody, but we can see some themes sometimes, right? And I think some of our older members had this sort of attitude of, you know, like, hey, just trust me. Like, I'm, I'm raising your food. I'm taking care of animals. Like, I'm doing good things. Just trust me. It's all good. Like, go to the grocery store. Just trust me. And I think we have a, a newer crop of leaders who really realize that consumer expectations have changed and that people are really connected to their food and they have questions about how their food is grown and why their food is grown that way. And they, they live in a world, as you said, just really connected with social media where they, they just want a higher level of transparency and understanding. So I think uh, we see young leaders who really see the power of social media and, and recognize you know, that they want to have their story out there as well, that, that, that they need to be, they need to speak up because other people are speaking up. And if they're, they're not, you know, their voice isn't heard, then they're, they're out. So they see that, that power and that connectivity. So we have these young people coming back to the farm, sharing the message and sharing everything that's happening on the farm. What effect is that having on the older generations, excuse me, in terms of their ability to be transparent and communicate what they're doing? I think it certainly has inspired some of them to get involved as well. And as I mentioned, you know, we see people of all ages who want to come to boot camp, who want to be involved in our programs. But I think one really specific thing I would point to is that uh, this younger this younger generation realizes that you don't have to have an elected position or a specific title to lead. Right. I think a characteristic of older times was you ran for office, you were on the county farm bureau board or whatever your organization. And, you know, you kind of worked your way up to a leadership role. And I think now people see that you you just don't have to have an elected position to lead. You can lead by having a blog that has thousands of followers. You can lead by having an Instagram account that you know, is popular and is teaching people things about agriculture. So I think that that's been a, a, a huge difference in what I've seen amongst amongst leadership these days is that people realize it's not a title, right? You can lead from wherever you are in a variety of different ways and through a variety of different tools, right? And a, a standard kind of organization with the board and a president is one way to lead, but there's a whole different way to be an advocate and a leader in the organization. Right. Excuse me. So uh, Margie, last question here this morning, are we changing the conversation? Are we making a difference? Are we connecting with the people that we need to connect with to help change some of these policies? Of course. I mean, I'm a glasses half full girl, so I'm always (laughs) going to say yes, but, but I have some examples that I would share that I think can point to, to what, how we are making a difference. So one of my favorites, we talked a lot about boot camp, right? And the women's communication boot camp. So we, a few years ago, we had um, a woman attend boot camp. She went home, she was all revved up and all excited. And she saw a story on TV about Subway's decision to stop using meat from any animal raised with antibiotics for, by 2025. And this, she felt that the story was very one-sided and it was it was talking about why this was so great. And there was no real information about why farmers use antibiotics in the first place. Okay. So she, she's all filled up with like passion and confidence 
from boot camp. And so she contacts the reporter on social media and she convinces the reporter to do a follow-up story that's based on the animal health angle. And the reporter said, you know, I had no idea. Like I'd never considered that side of the issue. And I've just assumed that everyone would think that the subway decision was great. So not only did, did that leader change the conversation about that particular story, but she changed the perspective of that reporter who will probably look at future stories differently. And she built a relationship with that reporter so that she can, you know, she would reach out to her again on any kind of ag related story. So that's, that's one example. I have another one um, from one of our PAL graduates. That was kind of the, the Uber elite group. So if you, uh, in late 2019, early 2020, there was the big E. coli outbreak in romaine lettuce. And Dr. Oz decided he was going to do a show on this topic. And so he reached out to the lettuce growers and wanted to get a farmer. And nobody wanted to do it. Nobody was brave enough to go on Dr. Oz and talk about how lettuce is grown. And we happened to have a PAL graduate who is a lettuce grower in Yuma, Arizona. And he initially said no to and then he he thought about it. He said, you know what? Like, this is what they trained me for. This is, I know how to do this. I can do this. And so he sat down and he made his message house and he thought about his sound bites and he thought about what he wanted to say. And he went on Dr. Oz and, and told the farmer's story about how we do produce food and how food is safe and all of the, the precautions, you know, that, that people take. So I think those are two really like specific examples but I think we're seeing that these types of stories really resonate. You know, when the shelves were empty at the beginning of the pandemic, we launched a still farming hashtag and that our members were using with photos of them producing food. So the idea was, hey, you know, your grocery store shelf might be empty, but don't worry, we're still farming and you're going to have food. It's just a you know, a supply issue. It's coming, like we're still farming. And we've reached more than 100 million people through that hashtag because our members were really excited to share that that's what they were doing, that they were still farming and they were still on the job. And uh, just people across the world have really embraced that message. Uh, they've responded and they've shared those stories. So that's, I think, encouraging to everybody that you can make a difference and that people do care. Mm -hmm. So powerful. So uh, just powerful stories. You know, if, if you're not willing to tell your story, who is mm -hmm. at the end of the day? Um, exactly. Well, Margie, thank you so much for the work that you do and your team does every day to help promote the message of agriculture and be the voice of agriculture. Um, we can't thank you enough for that work. As we look at wrapping up, any final thoughts? Um, yeah, I, I think I would just add one thing that to encourage, to continue to encourage any of our farmers and ranchers who might be listening today to just step outside and tell the story. So we're seeing a consistently high level of trust that consumers have in farmers. We have in our recent surveys that we've done, 87% of people we surveyed say that they trust farmers and ranchers. And farmers and ranchers rank as a leading source for information on food and climate too, okay? So people want to hear the farmer and rancher story. So um, check it out, check out the Ag Foundation website and check out your local county farm bureau if you're in the United States, because we'd love to have you join us. 
Absolutely. Well, thanks again for joining us here this morning, Margie. Have a great weekend. We really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. All right, Brian, we're ready to hand things back to you this morning. Thanks for joining us for AGI SureTrack Coffee Talk. Connect with us on the web at agisuretrackcommunity.com.